Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Lord Jesus, we ask you right now from the very beginning, Lord God, to touch us, anoint us, Lord God. I praise you, God, because this precious word is anointed, Lord God, so touch our hearts, our minds, our spirit, Lord God. Let your will, Lord God, your way be performed in each and every life. Touch us this day, God, anoint us in each and every one of our efforts, Lord God. We love and we thank you, God, for what you're going to do this day, and we praise you for it. In the holy name of Jesus. Praise God. If you would, take your Bible while you're standing. Let's read one verse. This is where I start. Hallelujah. Psalm 119. What I want to speak on today, I have just the nasty habit of not giving you a title, so I'll just tell you that from the very beginning. Illumination is what I want to do, uh, speak on. So 119, um, and let's read one verse, the 130th verse. Let's read that. Psalms 119, 130 says it like this, and I love it. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. He just said, the entrance of thy words giveth light. In Hebrew, the word entrance can mean door or revelation. It goes back when Israel was traveling, living in tents. And we know just from history that the tents only had one door, and it was just a flap of skin that when basically they opened it, the tent would have light. So God is saying through his man that my word is this. If you would open the door of your heart, then what you don't understand, that when you open this, looking into my word, you will have light to understand because this is nothing else but a roadmap for us to get to his home, which was going to be our home. And that's what we want to do. And then it says it gives understanding unto the simple. That just meant, literally means the untrained. You know, we're not saying, and I've said, I'm no scholar. We're, we're no scholars. But the Bible says this is made so that the common man can just take and pick it up and with a passion read it and be able to understand it. And he said, my word is will give light. He said, the entrance of thy words giveth light. And it's just the world in which we live, the time in which we live, I've said it. There's so much information out there. It's just literally now at a fingertip. But really, how much knowledge is there with that information? It is everywhere. You got so many. That's why I won't read a blog. There's just so much about everything everywhere. And I got nothing against anybody's opinion. But I want to read truth. That's what I want to read. 
And, and I got nothing. There again, don't read me wrong. Everybody has a right, and everybody has a reason to put whatever they want to on there. But I'm not interested in chasing rabbits. I want to chase the truth. That's what I want to chase. And God said, if you will chase my truth, then what you don't understand, you open up. And my word will be that light would shine, that revelation would shine on what you don't understand. Instead of just taking it and me saying, you know what? I can't get this. And I close the Bible and go off. God said, don't do that. Open it up. Take some time. Meditate on this. Because just like when you open the door of the tent, all of a sudden what was dark will be lit. It would be light in there. And you could be able to see how to move about. And God, that's what he likened his word to in us. He's just literally said, if you want the door of your knowledge and wisdom to be lit, look into my word, and that's what I will do. And then I want to turn with me. I've quoted this a couple times, but it's just I can't get away from it. So I want to hit it one more time. Um, 2 Peter, the Bible says it like this. Turn with me your Bible to um, 2 Peter 1. If somebody hadn't took it out of my Bible. 2 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. Now, what that literally means, if you have a Bible, touch your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, wherever you pick it up, if you have the Holy Ghost, then this Bible was written with the same anointing that God has given you. Some people think just because the Old Testament is the Old Testament, it's not God-inspired. God said, I anointed the holy men of old with the Holy Ghost to write this book. And they think Revelation is about the future, so we should leave it alone. That is not so. From Genesis to Revelation, this anointed word is to be read by God's filled people with the Holy Ghost because it is anointed with the same Spirit. So you would take, if we, it, it is foolish for someone with the Holy Ghost to say, this is too hard, I don't understand this. I'm not saying there's not hard sayings, but God had told his disciples, looking them in the face, I have given this knowledge, this wisdom is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, I, it is awful selfish of me to say, you know what, I just can't get this the first time around. Then I sell myself short. I ain't selling God short. God will not be sold short. He said, I'll give you light into this. So there again, he taken, he says, they was moved on by the Holy Ghost all the way from beginning to end. So I'm saying that as an encouragement to someone. If they, if you find yourself looking and you say, I just can't understand that. I just can't get this. Welcome to the club. I got a mailbox on that street. All I'm saying is God has given us the same spirit. Take this Bible. Read it. When life gets confusing and there's just so many life circumstances that we do not understand, God has given us the answer. This Bible has an answer. God can direct you to it. Because the anointing was written by every prophet, every man, every woman that penned the anointing was written in the pages by the same spirit that we possess. God give it. He told us they did. They did. And he told us in the preceding verse that I didn't give them that they didn't write their own interpretation, their own philosophy, their own wisdom. 
God said, I moved on them by the Holy Ghost. Now, one thing that, that God, when I was studying this, one thing that he, I felt inspired to do, and I've joked with you maybe a little too much, but uh, I want to I, I prove a point to you. God moved on them by the Holy Ghost. Now, turn with me to Genesis 1, and I want to prove, if you have any doubt in what I'm saying, I want to prove a point to you, and I can do it. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. I want you to listen to the words again. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. This formula will not change. I'm telling you, God inspired me to say, I don't care what you consider your life in a turmoil, in chaos. God said, if, if I can take a, a, a lump of clay and cast it in the middle of nothing, if I can create it out of anything, out of nothing, and God said the earth was without form and void, it was nothing. Some commentators even liken that to chaos. And God said, if I can take that, and then I, if as the, the next direct result is his spirit would start moving upon the face of the waters, the next direct result is light is going to be produced. And I believe that, me, I believe that is spiritual light is going to be produced. This formula will not, cannot, there's no devil that can stop it. Only us in our unbelief can stop this process. Because the reason I know I can prove it, because you live on the planet that I'm talking about. God said, I took the earth. It had no order, no structure, no form. It was without form and void. And I took and my spirit just started hovering over the waters. And as a direct result of that, I gave it structure. I gave it order. And as a direct result of that, light was produced. I saw it was good. And then I gave it whatever we see today in the universes and everything that we see. And as Brother Boyd has said, God put everything in the order, told the sun, the precision that we see in it just astounds us even today. The order, the structure, everything we see, God said, if I can do this, then what could my life be? How out of control could we get that God could not do something to it? We cannot think the issues, the life situations that we face, they do drag us down. I'm not talking about dealing with sin. I'm talking about as a Christian, as an apostolic, blood-bought child of God, dealing with life issues. That how bad could they get that God could not help us? When life backs you to the wall, you get this book. And I'm telling you, God can give us light. He can take us to places. He can show us things to help us and to do and to help us in our time of need. He's promised he'll do this. This formula won't change, I'm telling you. This is a formula that's tried and true. It will not, when, when life is nailed us and everything seems like it is going wrong, and the Holy Ghost, take this book, and you go, and I promise you, God said his words is an entrance, and it will give us the light that we need. It will do this. This formula will not change. It giveth light. It's going to. 
He won't change. He's going to do this. Now, in Malachi, we know the last, in the very last book of the Bible, Malachi 4.4, I want you to listen to the words he's telling them. Malachi 4.4, he said, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all of Israel with the statutes and the judgments. What's fixing to happen is there's fixing to be no prophetic voice, as we know now, history tells us, for 400 years. But God is telling them through his prophet, is remember my law. You've got to have no prophet speaking to you, but you will have my law. Remember this. Do not forget my law. You will have this law, but the man of God is going to be silent. But don't forget my law. That's literally the last words of the Old Testament God is telling them. Do not forget my law. You have this. You might not have him, but you've got this law. It'll keep you even when I am silent. So you remember, don't forget my law. Now, let's do what the Bible does. Jump the 400 years, go to Luke 1 with me. And what I want to speak about is my Bible. There's other Bibles that translate it a little bit different. What I wanted to speak to you about is the birth of John the Baptist. Now, I got a King James Version. Some translates his father as Zacharias. Mine, mine just translates it as Zechariah. So I'm going to say Zechariah. But anyway, I'm speaking about his parents, which is Zechariah and Elizabeth. So I don't want to get confused and be calling them Noah before I'm done. So I'm going to say Zechariah. But anyway, you know who I'm speaking of, the parents of John the Baptist. And this is speaking of his birth. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was a priest the Bible tells us that, and the part of which I'm fixing to read, he was performing one of his priestly duties. So this is about the birth of John the Baptist, and I'm going to start in the sixth verse, and I'm just going right into the story of the Bible talking about John the Baptist. Now, they've been a law for 400 years. His last words is, don't forget my law. Now, the sixth verse, Luke 1, 6. And they were both righteous, speaking of his parents, before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance for the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest office, his lot was to burn incense. Don't forget that. His lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were outside or was praying without at the time of the incense. And listen, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Now, I don't blame the man. It's been 400 years. I don't care if he is a priest. He's wrapped in human flesh. You know, somebody would be splashing cold water on me. So it is, and, and I'm not joking. So uh, it is the uh, 
So fear fell upon him, 13. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And 17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist was to be a Nazarite. There's only three that I know of recorded in the Bible, Samson, Samuel, and John. That was a Nazarite from birth. The Bible says from the womb, so we know that. Fear fell upon him. I don't blame him for that. But he tells him that, and it's almost like the Bible don't really clear this up for us in in Situations like that, it's just my view on this. We shouldn't speculate too far. Um, but it's almost as like the angel tells him, your prayer's been heard. And like Zacharias, like almost saying, what prayer? But the Bible goes on to tell us that he is well stricken in years. In other words, if he had prayed for a son, he had gave up on it by this time. That's what I get out of that. That's why there's too many roads you could go to. But that's almost what I get out of this. Zachariah's like saying, what prayer? And that's why I believe it makes mention that he's at the altar of incense, which always makes mentions of the prayers of the people of God. And he's standing on the right side, which always goes to favor. So the angel is standing there telling Zechariah, I've come for your prayer. So he tells him that. And incense, the prayer. Now, this morning at the house, I was thinking about this, and one thing I remember Brother Boyd saying about the two sons of Aaron, about them offering strange fire, and the Bible, the, I fully believe this. The Bible says we have so many people today, it, it, if you say you're Pentecostal, you're just, you're just look. You're, you're just thrown in with everybody. You know, that used to mean something. It, it, and I don't, and please understand this statement. It just don't mean that much anymore. But um, the Bible says that you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. That's why that I said you should speak with tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. So he is standing there. And I believe in Revelation, that's what that fire represents, the fire of the Holy Ghost. And we see that on the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But what I was reminded of, of when, when he spoke of the two sons of Aaron offering strange fire, and just what that means is in the old days, the Old Testament, they would take and offer a sacrifice. The priest, the Lord said, you offer a sacrifice for yourself, you cleanse yourself, you take some blood from that, 
you dip your finger in it, you wipe it on the horns of the altar, then you take and pour the rest of the blood out at the foot of the altar, then you take and make an offering for the people, let's get them cleansed, put the meat that I require on the burnt offering, then you stand back. Then, when the time is right, fire fall from heaven and will consume that sacrifice, the people's going to see it, know that their sacrifice has been accepted by God. Then you take the coals from that altar that the fire fell from heaven, and that is the fire that you ignite the incense with. The two sons of Aaron, which knew better, went out and started a fire of their own making and took the coals from it. And God said, how dare you come into my house? with a strange fire, and you take your fire. And God said, the Bible says he devoured them. You will not, because you read in Leviticus 10, the Bible says Aaron opened not his mouth, and then was his two sons. And God said, they come in, stood of taking the coals off the altar, that the fire that was started by God, that's why I said when you speak through, with tongues through the anointing of the Holy Ghost, through the fire that God has gave us, there's a lot of tongues today, but it's not the fire of the Holy Ghost. And there will be a reckoning. I'm telling you, there will be a reckoning. There will be a threshing floor that God separates. But what I'm saying, God says, I will. He told Moses right after this, I will be sanctified of my people. And those that have come into my house with strange fire, he devoured them. He devoured them. So when the Bible says this of him, it is like a prayer that Zechariah had prayed so many years ago. And it's like he'd already forgot about. And here Gabriel is telling him, thy prayer has been heard. I'm standing here telling you. And Zechariah is saying like, Okay, my prayer's been heard. But God said, you have took the fire that you needed to. Don't take strange fire. That's what they did. They literally started a fire, literally of their own making. I will do it my way. I'll start a fire. You can't do that. God said, it is the fire that I consume the sacrifice with. You take the coals. They started the fire. They came in into the holy place. And so I'm telling you, God did not tolerate that. And so many people think we're under so much grace now they can do anything they want and God will tolerate it. I'm telling you, I don't believe that at all. God devoured them in the process. But anyway, so he's standing there. He is standing there at the altar of incense. And Gabriel is telling him, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. So he tells him in the process, this is going to happen. Now, verse 18, he takes, Zechariah said unto the angel, now, I've said it, he's a priest. 400 years has passed since he's heard a prophetic voice. He's standing there. The man is just as human as I am. But now, his humanity starts to show. Staring Gabriel in the face, he said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Okay. Okay, you're looking Gabriel in the face. Just how am I supposed to know this? 
the last thing you want to do is tick off the top angel. You're standing there looking at Gabriel, you know, he's like, what have I got to do, seeing God down here? I mean, literally, Gabriel is standing there, and I'm making light of it, but I'm being real. I'm being real. So it had been 400 years. Here's the priest that he's saying to Gabriel, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? Don't forget that. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. I prayed this prayer a long time ago. But how shall I know this? It's really not enough, Gabriel, that God sent you to me. How? Give me another sign. 19. And the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel. This. We start to see the other side that stand in the presence of God. I am sent, God sent me to speak unto thee and to show you these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. I'm telling you, they thought God had killed him. I promise you, they thought God had took his life because he was in there so long. Now, he's in there. How shall I know this? He's looking at the angel. But Zechariah paid a price for his unbelief. He's just, he's human. He's human. I'm so glad the Bible don't leave out parts like this. I'm so glad that it just don't set the benchmark up here and we're constantly trying to jump and jump and jump and we never can reach that mark or is he always trying to reach a mark that we can't attain? But it's telling us. But he told him that you're going to be dumb. You're not going to be able to speak at a time that your son should be hearing your voice that would comfort him. The time that your child would be hearing the voice of his mother and father and that he would be, when he was birthed, the traumatic part of being birthed, that would, which would comfort him, which would help settle him. He would hear his mother, but the first time he heard his father, he would not recognize. He would understand his mother, but he wouldn't even know the voice of his own father. He would wonder, who was that speaking to me? But God says, that is my judgment. You didn't believe my words. You prayed this, and I believe he had really even shelved this prayer. It's been so long. But God said, you didn't believe my word. I don't care how long it's been. I promised you, I sent the angel literally, literally to the altar of incense to remind you this is where the prayers are made and remembered and gave you my word. You will have a son, and as a result, your voice will be taken for a period of time. But even, even in judgment, 
God tempered it with mercy. For just the way I would put this is God is just saying, your voice will be taken for a period of time, but that son you fix in the birth, I'm going to put a mouth on him that'll make Elijah proud because he is going to take He's going to speak with a voice and the authority and the power and the spirit and the anointing of Elijah. You may have lost your voice for a time, but this little joker I'm fixing to birth, he's going to make up for it. He's going to have power and anointing. He is going to do that because he is going to be anointed. God really did that. 26, and in the sixth month, the angel, Gabriel again, is sent unto sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph and to the house of David, to the virgin named Mary. And then I'll just stop at 28. And the angel said unto her, Hail Mary, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, I want to skip to 35. We know that Gabriel takes and tells her she's going to have the Lord, the birth of our Lord. So for time's sake, jump with me to 35. This is Mary. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also the holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Verse 38. And Mary said, Now, we know what Zechariah said. This is Mary's reaction, 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, ain't, now Mary's reaction was, be it unto me, so be it. You've told me, I believe you, so be it. Now, jump with me to 39. Mary arose in those days and went unto the hill country and made haste into a city of Judea and entered into the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. Now, and it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, 42, and she spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is that to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as thy voice of the salutation Listen, sounded in my ears. The babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which was told her from the Lord. Now, here is something truly remarkable. As I said, there's only three Nazarites that I know of, Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. John, the Bible says, would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, I don't know. But the Bible tells us that Elizabeth, when she just heard the voice of Mary, just heard the voice. And John, six months of age, the Bible tells us now, in her womb, 
as soon as it sound travel through Elizabeth into the womb that John's reaction was, it was like, can you feel him moving? Oh, yeah. He's doing backflips. <laughs> He's moving all right. So when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, I think the baby was filled too. And that is truly, truly remarkable. The Bible tells us he would be filled from his mother's womb. Now, he takes and he does this. The Bible says that he literally, the Bible leaped, or John leaped for joy, for as I believe John recognized. Like I said, the judgment against his dad, mute. But here is John at just hearing. That's her. I know somehow God had put something in a six-month-old baby. That's the mother of the Messiah. And when he heard it through his mother, somehow the connection made. And John just says, if you read about John, he just, he wasn't calm at all. I mean, literally, he's just, he's all over the place, literally. So he's just taken, and he, the Bible says he's leaping, so this really was happening. He was a Nazarite, literally filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible, John goes on to tells us that his dad, when he got his voice, he tells us that basically two things I want to mention, that he had showed strength with his arm, basically meaning his flesh. God had revealed his arm. He had showed strength with his arm, and this is another thing that he told us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his covenant, to remember the mercy promised that he promised all the way back to Abraham. He told him, he says, you go out, you leave all of this, Abraham. He says, I'm going to promise you, I will make you father of great nations. And this is what, when Zechariah got his voice back, this is what he said. He said a lot of stuff, but this is only two of the things that he did say. Now, I've told you two of the times that Gabriel was sent. There's one more time that Gabriel was sent, as far as I know. This, would, this was when he, Malachi, that was 400 years, Gabriel was sent one more time earlier. This was over 500 years ago. And the Ancient of Days sent Gabriel to Daniel. The Bible says, and his windows being opened, in his chamber towards Jerusalem. Gabriel was sent to Daniel just to tell him the Messiah is coming. Seventy weeks are determined among thy people. And he told him a lot of things, but he told him one of the things he told him, he's going to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. God said, I have promised it. I'm not going to forget it. The Messiah is coming. And listen. The entrance of thy words giveth light. God promised it. Zechariah may have forgot it. I don't know. But this one thing I do know, with Gabriel standing where he was standing, God is not going to forget it. We may have forgot it, but God is not going to forget it. He's not going to forget it. Now, there's one other thing that I'll end with. Turn with me. I want you to... This one thing, Hebrews 4.
Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, a lot of the time, I'd say probably most of the time, I don't know, that, maybe that's too broad of a quote, but um, in Hebrews 4, 12, it starts out where the word of God is quick. Most of the time, and maybe I don't know if I should get that broad, that statement, but I would think a lot of people, when they read this verse, you're thinking of this, for the word of God is quick, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But who is the word? Jesus. You can't separate, and neither should we try to separate. So, so what I'm saying is, when you read this, just don't place it to the written word only. Apply Jesus to this scripture too when you read this. Jesus is the word. John told us plainly, told us plainly, left nothing to our imagination, told us plainly. Jesus is the word of God. So I'm saying when you read this, think of our God. Think of Jesus. Okay. For the word of God is quick, that means alive, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and mirror, and a deserter of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Now, literally, the thoughts and the intent, God knows this. He knows our thoughts, and he knows the intent of the thought. Literally, we are completely exposed. I mean completely exposed. Now, the next verse Neither, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto his eyes with him whom we have to do. Now that just, if there's anything left to the imagination, that clears it up. We are completely open to the Lord. Now I believe this is wrote to Christians. I believe this is wrote to the church. Now, and I have a point for saying that. This is for us on God taking, giving us illumination, giving us light, giving us strength and help. So now, then he goes to 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast firmly to our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but with all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, this is not holding the carrot over us, saying, look what I did, and you try to get to it. This is God saying, literally, I know what it's like to live in the flesh that you live in. But God is saying, I know what it's like, but here, I, when you go to me, it's not like, you know, when something happens to you, and if, if you had, um, my dad's a car mechanic, so I'll use him. You take your car to the car mechanic, and the car mechanic rips you off. And you think, man, the guy shouldn't have done that. You know, he charged me way too much money. And, and you're talking to another gentleman that's always had perfect experience. He's never got done bad. And you think, man, you know, he, he shouldn't have done that. But then you go to another gentleman and he got ripped off by the same guy. Who do you feel more at ease with? The one that got done just like you did. 
So that's why Jesus is telling us, I was tempted in every point. So you're not going to someone that you're just telling someone that, well, I hope you feel better when you're done. God has said, I really know what it's like to be tempted. To be tempted. Literally, I know what it's like to be tempted. And then he says, For let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what I'm talking about, we as Christians, a lot of times there's issues that we, some have said there's a battle between guilt and grace. But I think the one thing that we really miss in this, and I'm not talking about condoning sin, don't get me wrong, but I'm talking about just life situations that affect us as children of God. The one thing that we miss, I think, in 16 is the throne of grace. I think we are so just, I don't want to use the word afraid, but we're just so Christian-oriented that we won't let ourselves get to that point. One thing I know, believe me, I've read Revelation enough to know that there's only one throne in heaven. And God is saying through here, whoever wrote, whoever wrote Hebrews, God is saying through the prophet, when it concerns my people, you come to the throne and it is called grace. You come. You have a need. Do not let your guilt, if you have sinned, John told us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is speaking of his flesh. He was our great high priest. We just read it. He took, he bore the sins. He says we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. So he says you come to the throne of grace. So when it comes to life and it has beat, bammed, frammed us, God said, I know what it is like to be in that. So he said, when you get in them situations, you come to me because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to face them situations, God is saying. So he said, come boldly. And then what I like is the way he finished it, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now he knew in the time of need. He knew we wasn't going to just be saved except him and everything was just going to be fine the rest of our lives. It's just not going to be that way. For the man that I spoke of, John, you read the end of him, and it was very dramatic. But God is saying to his children, when you have a time of need, you come see me. God said, I have a throne, and to my beloved, it is called the throne of grace. And sometimes we just allow ourselves, our own conscience, the enemy, whoever, to beat us down and think God is going to be mad at me or condemn me. Like I'm saying, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about life beating us down. But God said, I am a God and I do have a throne and I'm waiting on my beloved. So that is the God that we have. Illumination we have. And I just love the verse when it said, the entrance of thy words giveth light. And that's the way God's word is to us and always will be, that his word will give light 
to us in a world that is so dark and dismal that was without form and void. God said, I can give it structure, I can give it meaning, and that I will do. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Praise God. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.